you know, Mike Breen, bang. Oh, like, yeah. those, oh, yeah. those guys can do it. It's not me. You got to know who you are. I threw in a few every now and then. Not my style. I yeah. found out yeah. I'm, I'm not a catchphrase guy. That's okay. <laughs> so I didn't get the job and I was crushed. And he said, listen, man, you've got a great voice. One of the best tapes I've ever heard, but what else can you do? And that's when it clicked. I was like, man, this is more than just hopping on the bike. This is the Work in Sports Podcast. Here's VP of Content and Engage Learning at WorkinSports.com, Brian Clapp. Sometimes while watching sports, I'll turn down the volume on my TV and turn up the volume on my radio. Have you ever tried this? Let's get to the root of why I do this and then it will all start to make sense. If you're really into your hometown team and they get a national broadcast opportunity on ESPN or NBC or Fox, you get pretty excited about the fact that your team is out there on the national display. I do. I hope you do. I think that's part of the excitement. Not just on your local station. They're national right now. They're going to get this cool exposure. But national sports broadcasters can be kind of annoying with their lack of knowledge. It's understandable. They have to focus from week to week on a variety of rosters, team news, and nuance. They aren't solely focused on the intricacies of your team. So my solution, turn down the TV, turn up the radio. When Tony Romo starts to annoy me with his utter disregard for the news and events surrounding my team, America's team, the New England Patriots, I turn it down and listen to former Patriots backup quarterback Scott Zolak and his play-by-play partner Bob Sosi on the local radio station. They have passion, enthusiasm, a dash of hometown bias, and weave in the stories from around the team and players all the time. That's what I'm listening for. I want to hear their real insight from being there throughout training camp and being around the players and talking to them. Like, that's what I'm looking for in a broadcast. I'll listen to Romo and Nance on the regular broadcast for some other combination of teams. But for my team, I want the hometown voices. Well, Except when it comes to Boston Bruins hockey, Jack Edwards can be a little hard to handle and embodies the term mass hole, but I digress. I can say that. I'm from Massachusetts. These positions, being the local, passionate voice behind the team, are highly sought after. Dream jobs in the sports industry. Embedded like a reporter, charismatic like a carnival barker, passionate like the fan on the couch living and dying with every moment. They are special positions but they are few and far between. To be the local voice of a pro team can be a long and arduous road. Passion has to drive you. And if it does, the opportunities are there. Today's guest, Everett Fitzhugh, is the radio play-by-play announcer for the NHL's Seattle Kraken. But his path to the mountaintop wasn't a straight line. It dotted the landscape. Bowling Green University, the USHL, Youngstown Phantoms, Cincinnati Cyclones. Fitzhugh slowly climbed, practicing, refining, discovering his point of view and style. And then his big break came. He impressed the right people and got a chance at the big time. Now, there's no one better. His energy, enthusiasm, and knowledge of his team would sure as heck make me turn down the TV and turn up the radio. Learn how it all happened from the man himself. Here's my friend, Everett Fitzhugh. To the line, Larson, Everly, backhand, scores! What a move! Shot from the left circle and in pass Riddick and the Kraken tie the game. 11-17 to go in the second. 1-1. 
Everett, I am so excited to meet with you, to talk with you. I feel like we've been planning this interview for a long time, and you've got a pretty busy schedule during the NHL year, so thank you so much for making time and joining me today. Hey, this is a pleasure. Thank you very much, and and my apologies for having it taking so long to, no, to, finally, uh, to finally link up here. But yeah, I'm looking forward to this as well. I love these moments, and it's it's... You know, I'm one of those, I'm, I'm a firm believer that to be really great at anything, you really have to love it. Oh, yeah. And I think you're a great broadcaster because you have so much passion and it just exudes from you. So let's, let's start back at the beginning a little bit. Where did that passion and that love for the game kind of start and come from for you? I mean, for, for the game of hockey, it started as a kid. I grew up in the city of Detroit, which is hockey town. So you couldn't mm-hmm. go, uh, you know, you couldn't go 10 feet, especially in the late 90s. And the Red Wings were winning the Stanley Cups. And Oh, they were know, so good. Oh, my goodness. Those epic playoff battles with Colorado. You, you Better off and Iserman. And I love Iserman, that the, the, the hit uh, that started mm-hmm. it all, the Lemieux hit that started oh, everything. Oh, yeah, the, and, the huge brawl and the fights between the goalies. and Yep, yeah. yep. So that, I'm reminiscing that, right along with you. Absolutely. So, so that's that's what did it for me. That's what got me into the sport initially um, as a fan. But you know, it wasn't until like my love for the game of hockey really didn't didn't occur until a little bit later uh, when I was probably in third fourth grade. I actually saw a, uh, a Red Wings Oilers hockey game in Edmonton yeah. at the time had uh, two black players on their team. So for yep. me to see uh, two black faces in the NHL. That was massive for me. So I, my, I my career, right? My, my career, career. Uh, George, the rock. <clears throat> oh, George, the rock. Okay, yeah. good. Awesome. That's really cool. Keep yeah, going. So Sorry, he, he, he played for uh, Pittsburgh for a bit, played for Montreal, yeah. but I think he's probably most known for those Oilers uh, teams yeah. he was on. So that's, that's what really sucked me in as a fan of hockey. And then a few years later, they added Anson Carter. Uh, mm-hmm. So at, at one time you had three black players on the same team. And then, you know, those late nineties, early two thousands Oilers, I think, you know, in a seven year, eight year spread, there was probably five, six, seven black players. So, I mean, that was, you know, that was unheard of at the time. So for me, it was huge. So I, I became an Oiler fan because of that. Yeah. Um, and then what ended up happening is I, I've always known that I wanted to work in sports. I just never knew what I wanted to do. So yeah. it wasn't until I got to college that I, I was like, you know what, maybe I can I can give this broadcasting thing uh, a try. And a buddy of mine actually yanked me off the couch during the two. 2006 ALCS and he was like you're a you're a sports guy right you want to work in sports I got a radio sports meeting that I'm, I'm going to you're coming with me so I'm all right whatever fine get off the couch love what I heard um, yeah. and and I had been doing broadcasting ever since I got my first game as a freshman which I was super proud of like everybody wanted to do football and basketball all the sexy sports but yeah. um, you know I was I was one of the few hockey guys in the group so that's really how it all started from my fandom all the way up and through wanting to, to work in sports. So that was at Bowling Green, right? So was that just initially like the first time you did it, like the love affair was, was right there. It was obvious. Like this is, this is the thing for me. That was it. That honestly, so I'll tell you what, growing up as a Red Wings fan, I was a big hockey fan as a kid. Um, I did not go to my first hockey game until my freshman year of college. And I did not see my, my first hockey game in person was Bowling Green, Yukon in October of 2006. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that was the first Who won? live. Uh, oh, gosh. 
<laughs> put you on the spot. I think BG won that one. We'll I, go with it. Some, We're gonna run with it. They win. Yeah. Years when I, I was it. in when I was in school, but I think we pulled that one out. Um, but yeah, so I, um, I I got on the air for the first time, and I'd been doing intermission reports and uh, studio hosting. Um, I actually had my own show, Motown Sports Madness, where we talked about right. Detroit area sports because it was Ohio. Everybody's yeah. a Cleveland fan or Cincinnati fan or Ohio State Columbus fan. So, you know, I was like, we need we need some some Detroit representation here. You know, yeah. we're 60 miles from Detroit. So, um, you know, so I, I did all that. And then I, I got my first game. It was Bowling Green, uh, Alaska Fairbanks in late January, 2007. Um, and I was, I fell in love with, with broadcasting, with broadcasting hockey, with being yeah. in the press box. Everything was just, it was so fun and it was yeah. so, um, professional and everything was so buttoned up. And, and I, it really, it really appealed to me. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, yeah, we're, we're, this is it. We're, we're putting all of our eggs in the hockey basket. Uh, I called my mom and I was like, Hey, we're going to the NHL. Just so you're uh, curious, um, if you're aware, I'm, I'm going to the NHL. That's my new life goal. <laughs> uh, I did. I did a handful of basketball games, handful of baseball games uh, throughout college. But hockey, broadcasting hockey, was my was my passion. That was my my professional love. Yeah. Was was it the the love of the game? Was it the pace of the uh, the broadcasting? Because it's it's faster than just about yeah. anything else. Like was that was that what drew you into it, or like what was what was that? If you tried you tried other sports, but it was always hockey. Yeah. Like why why what yeah. what was it about hockey? I think it was the speed. I think yeah. it was the speed. It was the pace of play. It was it was it's such a unique sport because. So football, so for, so from an American perspective, we all know football, yeah. we all know basketball, we all know baseball. Those sports are are, are synonymous with, with Americana, with American culture. Yeah. But hockey, that's number four of, of the big four. And then if you want to bring in other sports, MMA, soccer, whatever, golf, you can you can go lower than that. But for me, it was the opportunity to paint the full picture of a sport that as Americans, not a lot of us are as passionate about as other sports. And I think it was, it was the pace. It was the fact that, you know, you've got silly things like line changes, uh, uh, offsides, goal, you know, goalies, like just, it's so unique of a sport. And I think that's what really drew me in, um, was being able to, to give a voice and to give a narrative to that that sport. Um, and, and I mean, it is fast, like growing up and even still to this day, baseball, uh, was my favorite sport as a fan. Um, I love baseball. My, my happy place is now a Mariners game, but it used to be a Tigers game or a Reds game or wherever I lived. Um, you know, I can have a couple of beers, have a couple mm-hmm. of hot dogs and sit out in the outfield. That's a lifestyle right there. Yeah. That's, that's all, yeah. that's all I wanted. So yeah. for me, that was, that was and still continues to be my passion as a fan. Um, but baseball, I couldn't work in baseball. No. It, it was the hardest sport to broadcast. Um, and I remember I did um, a double header uh, back in college and it was by myself. There was like a oh. two hour rain delay. Oh. And oh my God, I was, I think the first game started at noon. I didn't get out of there until probably seven. 
Um, And they had to call it because of darkness, because the field at Bowling Green (laughs) at the time, I think they have lights now, but at the time didn't have lights. Um, So game over, we can't see anything. Oh no, darn. (laughs) Yeah, seven hours Uh, later. (laughs) You know, so this is this is going back two thousand a nine, 10, yeah. something like that. So, um, I, you know, and I applied for a couple of baseball jobs out of school, but you know, I didn't, I didn't want to make baseball my job because I loved it so much as a fan. Okay. Um, and for me, hockey, I mean, that's, that's the ultimate, you know, adrenaline rush. Yeah. That's the ultimate thrill, uh, for a sport. So to be able to do that, and I'm not saying I don't like hockey. Of course I love hockey, oh, yeah. um, but you work in the NHL and you've worked your way through multiple levels. I mean, I've not been to a hockey game as a fan probably since college because, you know, you're always trying to get to this level. So you're either shadowing people. You're, you know, when you go to an NHL game, you know, I'm looking around, looking at all the marketing things, you know, at the time I was in Cincinnati in the ECHL. Oh, they do a pretty good fan activation here. Maybe I can bring the, you know, you're all the the wheels are always turning. turning. I can't just sit back and enjoy a hockey game. I think it's hilarious. I try to tell people all the time from a broadcasting perspective that aren't that familiar with hockey, let's say, and I'm like, imagine watching a basketball game that moves at two, twice the speed and they change yeah. the players every 30 seconds. Yes. And, and you have to yes. keep up with all of that. Like when I try to tell people, and we'll, we'll talk more about your style and how you got to this point and all that kind of yep. things. But I just think that that respect that has to be out there for hockey broadcasters to keep up with yeah. So much happening so fast and the, the main players changing so often. Like that's, yeah. it's still amazing to me. Let's go back to something else you just said a second ago. Yeah. You said you talked to your mom. I love this quote that you just, like after your first game, we're like, we're going to the NHL. Like, <laughs> I love that. But how important is it sometimes to set that goal for yourself and to have that high bar and say, that's what I'm going after. Like, how much did that mean for you just to have that kind of an intention spoken out into the world? You know, it, it was big for me for a couple of reasons. I think number one, not a lot of folks, especially 18-year-old college freshmen, know what they want to be when they grow up. Yeah. I, I, hell, I'm 34, and there are people my age who don't know what they want to be when they grow up. So, yeah. you know, I, I'm, I'm one of the very lucky ones. But I think for me, it, it, it made it real. It made it tangible because – you know, I, I've I've had a few other jobs in my life. I didn't like them. You know, I I've been in corporate America. I've sat behind a desk, yeah. crunching numbers and entering spreadsheets for data. I I absolutely hated it, and I knew that I wanted to work in sports in some capacity. Um, and and this was just so exciting. And and yeah. no no two days are ever the same, um, in this industry from from college hockey to junior hockey all the way up to the NHL. No two days are the same. So for me, it was important to to set that goal because I wanted something that I felt was achievable. And when the worst day possible happened, right? Like when, when you have a bad day, when, when everything just seems to be going squirrely and sideways, uh, I can at least say to myself, nope, you're going to the NHL. That's the goal. That that's, that's the golden ticket. Right. And, um, so it was really big for me, I think to set it. And then also I think it helped me throughout the rest of my college career, 
plan accordingly. So what classes do I need to take? What experiences do I need to have? When I'm looking for my internships, who do I want to intern with? A lot of folks will do internships simply because they need to fulfill the credit. But I did my internships based off of what am I going to get the most out of? Are there contacts there uh, that can help me further my career? Um, Obviously, is it in the field that I want to be in? Um, You know, so at Bowling Green, a lot of our uh, sports management students, they interned with the Toledo Mudhens, the baseball mm-hmm. team there. Yep. Uh, a lot of folks, again, like I said, are from <clears throat> Cleveland or Columbus. So they would do Reds or Indians or Guardians now, I guess, yeah. um, uh, internships and Browns internships and all that stuff. So I interned with the Detroit Shock and the Detroit Pistons uh, back in the summer of 09, I think, 08, 09. Um, and it was in their broadcasting department. So yeah. I got skills of, of how to pull videotape and, and how to, um, you know, there's a lot of game night responsibilities as well, but game notes, things like that for, mm-hmm. for the WNBA team. So, you know, it, it helped me realize of the options that were in front of me, yeah. this one goal that I want to get to, what do I need to do to better position myself for a spot? Um, there. And I, I applied for the Bowling Green uh, varsity hockey uh, broadcasting position and, and I got it my my fourth year. Uh, so I was ended up being a fifth year senior. So my fourth year in school, my fifth year in school, and then my first year out of school, I did play by play for BG. So all of that kind of helped me, um, you know, ultimately get to this spot. And there were a lot of, uh, of roads and curves along the way. But, um, you know, that was the kind of intention that I set with that goal. You get a full round of applause for that answer because we're talking about it all the time on the show. We get a lot of people who are like, I want to work in sports. I don't know yeah. what I, what that means or what I want to do. And at some point in college, oh. you have to figure that out so that you can start making smarter choices yeah. about what classes you take, about what internships you do, about what experience you acquire. Because the marketplace out there in the real world is not going to be like, oh, you love sports? Great. Come work for yeah. us. Like You have and to have it, some it, skills that line up. And it's funny you say that too, because I'll never forget my first SM201 class. Um, My professor, you know, first day of class, you go around the the room, you know, where are you, who are you, where are you from, what's your major, what do you want to be? Everybody. Oh, Billy from Cleveland. I'm going to be the GM of the the Indians. Right. And after like the fifth or sixth, I'm going to be the GM of the Cavs. Right. My teacher was like, okay, what are you going to do to get there? Right. Who do you know? Right. If you want to be the GM of the Cavs or the Browns or insert team here, that's perfectly fine. That's a great What are all those steps? Yeah. But what are your steps that you're going to take to get there? Yep. Yeah, that's the part people miss. It, not there's yep. nothing wrong with having a big dream. There's nothing wrong yep. with wanting to be the next big agent. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be the not GM of your favorite team. Drew Rosenhaus started off somewhere. They all right? started somewhere, <laughs> right? But they got you got to have a plan to get there too, and all those steps in between. And then it starts with, like you said, internships. It starts with the yep. classes you select. It starts with the way. Yep. It starts with the way you, you 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 dedicate your time outside of the classroom. It's just all part yep. of the bigger picture, and that's important for everybody listening to know. So. After BG, I mean, it wasn't that straight line to the NHL. You still had no. some work to do, and you were USHL, you were yeah. uh, ECHL, and these are yeah. minor league divisions of hockey. And mm-hmm. you were involved, I mean, still hockey, but not all pure broadcasting. You had a lot of other yeah. responsibilities too. You were doing media relations, you were doing marketing yeah. stuff. Did that help 
build the overall perspective of you for the sports industry, make you an all-around performer? Or would you have rather, like at that time, like, I just want to be in the booth? Listen, so it was both. And I'll, yeah. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story about my, my high school, my college graduation. A uh, buddy of mine was working uh, in the ECHL uh, at the time um, for a team, and he was moving on. And he helped me uh, get an interview, which, by the way, who you know, not oh, what yeah. you know. Make those contacts, kids. Yep. Um, so he was uh, he was leaving. He set me up with the president of the team. We had a great interview. I interviewed very, very well. I turned in a great demo tape, um, and I didn't get the job. And I was I was crushed yeah. uh, because the president of the team said, you know, it was between you and another guy. And the reason why it took us so long to get back to you is because we were – we were having screaming matches as to who we were going to hire. Yeah. Um, but ultimately we went with the other guy because he was the PR director of a junior hockey league team in the North American hockey league. Mm-hmm. I was just a broadcaster right. and okay. the two guys before me at Bowling Green went straight from BG to pro hockey. One went to the uh, central hockey league and then one went to the ECHL. So I'm thinking to myself, Oh, all right, these guys do it. I'm on the path. This is how it works. Exactly. Like, okay, cool. So I didn't get the job and I was crushed. And, and, you know, so he was talking to me and and to this day, it was, it's still, even though I was ticked off, it was still one of the best pieces of advice I ever got. And, and it was at the time that he's since has moved on. Uh, but it was the president of the team. And he said, listen, man, you've got a great voice. One of the best tapes I've ever heard, but what else can you do? Yeah. And there was kind of a, a it was kind of an awkward pause because in my mind, I'm like, what the hell do you mean? What else can I do? I'm right. Doing I, I'm, I'm doing this great. What's the problem? That's yeah. So he goes, the guy that we hired was the PR director for uh, for another team. So he knows how to write a press release. He knows how to conduct press conferences. He knows his way around website development. Yeah. He can do Photoshop. He can uh, do team travel. You know, he can do marketing. He can do sales. And that's when it clicked. I was like, man, this is this is more than just hopping on the booth, on, yep. on the mic. Because I thought, you know, that's what I did at Bowling Green. We had SIDs. We had an entire marketing department. I didn't have to do any of that stuff. I had to do my game notes, and I had to show up on Fridays and Saturdays, uh, and then every day of practice to, to get my stuff done, and, and, and then – that was it. So that's why I ended up going to the USHL because I, I applied for, I probably, man, I probably applied for 50 sports jobs across, across the board. And then I finally uh, got a nibble uh, in the, in the uh, USHL, which again, who do you know, completely by accident. Um, it was for a PR marketing role uh, within the league office. And a friend of mine was working for a team in the USHL at the time, and he was uh, one of their volunteer assistant coaches, did a lot of video work for them. So uh, the head of PR and marketing for the league office went to him and said, hey, you know, I've gotten to know you for a little bit. We're doing some, we're having a new position. I know that you do a lot of video for for your team. Would you be interested in this position? And he goes, I mean, if you need someone, I guess I could do it. But I mean, if you're looking for PR, social media, digital video, that kind of stuff, I actually know a guy and that's what he's been doing at Bowling Green. I was the guy. Uh, So I interviewed, I got the job in Chicago with the USHL league office. 
And it was everything I needed and more. There was zero broadcasting involved, but I learned how to write a press release. I learned how to do game notes. I did event management. I did, um, you know, all types of stuff that that you need the other duties as a sign yep. that you need in this industry. So um, it was it was huge for me. To go to the USHL for that year and a half, uh, the league office for the year and a half I was there, and to get those skills, I made a lot more contacts. I went to uh, the NHL draft. I went to a bunch of combines, a bunch of college hockey games, just all around PR and and social and digital media, all of the stuff that I, I didn't have, all those skills I didn't have at the time, but would would ultimately come to make me a better employee because when I got the job in, um, after the USHL, I did everything there and I, I wanted to get back on, on the microphone. So I went to Youngstown in the USHL. There I was introduced to the wonderful world of sales and that. <laughs> oh, That's the thing yeah. about minor league sports, man. You got to do everything. Again, other duties as a sign. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I was in Youngstown for a year. And then I went to Cincinnati, the ECHL. And then that is where I, I feel I became that well-rounded yeah. sports professional because I was an integral part in planning and uh, execution of our marketing plan and development of our marketing plans and our social media strategy, our PR strategy. I was doing weekly media appearances with players. Mm-hmm. I did team services. So hotels, buses, per diem. I helped out with some scouting. I think one summer, uh, my head coach had me help him out with immigration forms. So, you know, I was the master. Scott twice. Uh, the more you so, can do. Yep. Exactly. The more you can do. So it, it was. It you was probably look like a badass in the in the mascot outfit too. I'm guessing. Listen, we, we were the Cincinnati Cyclones, I mean, and our mascot was this uh, 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 tornado. It was Twister. Yeah. And he had one tooth missing. He was mean and menacing. <laughs> and the guy that played him was probably like uh, five like power nine, suit, five, ready eight. to go. Ready to go. And then I put the suit on. Here comes this 6'3 dude. I terrified people. So I went to my boss and I was like, yeah, probably shouldn't have me. I think I'm scaring the kids. <laughs> so yeah, that that that's the story, man. Just getting all of that experience and wearing all of those hats ultimately it makes a big difference. Become, it makes a lot, it makes a big difference. Yeah, yeah, it does. And it gives you confidence in all these different areas too when they start coming up in, in conversation in the bigger picture. Yeah. But I also look back to okay, so 2014, you were saying with Youngstown. You called 60 games that year. Yes. Like, like what, what to get that consistency in yes. your craft, how important was that to really start finding your voice, your style, the way that you would project when you'd find those moments to tell stories, like all those little nuances. Like, was that consistency of getting 60 games, is, did that just help you launch up to a new level? Repetition helps. And, yeah. and in that, because I'd only ever done, you know, for Bowling Green and college hockey, you do 40 games a year. Um, and, and for me being able to do 60 plus games, you had some preseason games. And then on top of that, all the other, um, things you had to do, it it helped you find your voice. I became more creative. I became a little bit, I tried a few things. Some worked, some didn't work. Uh, you know, I, uh, we had a really good partnership with the Pittsburgh Penguins and their legendary broadcaster, Mike Lang. Obviously he's known for, you know, a ton of great one-liners and he's got his sayings. And I threw in a few every now and then, not my style. I found out I'm I'm not a catchphrase guy. That's okay. (laughs) That's okay. I'm going to leave it. 
I'm going to leave it to the professionals. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that's you, you're you like, know, it just never... feels silly coming out of my mouth, but it sounds yeah, so yeah, good I coming out of theirs. But, but the, the Mike Langs of the world, Randy Moeller, oh, the yeah. Florida Panthers was great at it. Yeah. Um, you know, Mike Breen, bang. Oh, like, yeah. No, those, oh, yeah. Those guys can do it. It's not me. I'm not, not your thing. And yeah. okay. You got to know that's who okay. you are, right? Exactly. Exactly. So, but being able to go out there and to do it every week, every night. Um, and then when you go to the ECHL, not only, you know, the thing about the USHL and the thing about um, college hockey, typically you're playing the same teams right. for a weekend, right? You're playing yeah. Friday, Saturday nights, and you're playing the same team back to back. When you get to minor league hockey, you're playing three and three, four and five, seven and nines, and you're playing seven different teams. So yeah. you need to learn, you know, I, my, my prep work became a little bit different. I had to, to critique how I did that. How do I recover from doing three games in three nights or three games in four nights, however that may be. So, you know, finding your voice, finding what works, you know, not only from a, a physical vocal standpoint, but also from like a health standpoint, how do I keep my voice healthy and my, yeah. and my throat healthy, uh, to do 72 games in the ECHL, 60 games, um, in, in the USHL. I mean, and that's your and livelihood. Do. That's your, that's your moneymaker, right? That's I mean, moneymaker, right? Yeah. like my, my wife, uh, my wife yells at me because I, I snore and I'm like, I can't have it taken care of because if, if something messes up, then we're out of trouble. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to be. I don't want to go to a soprano here overnight after a, <laughs> after a snore reducing Their audience surgery. expectations, you know. You exactly. I've, I've set the bar pretty high. I, <laughs> That's, I can't, right. Yeah. That's right. That's so right. I've worked hard to to you know perfect my Barry White. Um, so yeah, that that was that was huge for me to to get that repetition. Yeah. And to do it every day and uh, in, in the minors and in the junior hockey league. So why would the Cyclones, and tell me if I got this right, because this is what yeah. I was receiving from my research. Why would the Cyclones, the Athletic wrote a profile on you and yes. it caught, caught the eye of a pretty influential CEO. Tell us about the first conversation you had with Seattle Kraken CEO, Todd Lewicki. So Todd Lewicki is, I mean, he's on my, he is on my Mount Rushmore. Yeah, I've met him a couple of um, times and he's a Mount Rushmore guy. I, I'm with yes. you. Yes. You, you look at the most influential people yeah. in our generation from an administrative level. Mm-hmm. He is on the Mount Rushmore. Yes. Um, so I, I get a, I get an email from him February 20, uh, 2020, right before the pandemic, literally two weeks uh, three weeks before the whole world goes to hell. Yeah. Um, he, he sends me an email and, um, it was just the generic, you know, Todd at Seattle, something, whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, I, 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 hockey Seattle or NHL Seattle, something, whatever, yeah. just the generic, the generic email address. Right. I thought it was spam. Right. I thought, yeah. it, was, I thought it was my like, coworkers in the back. Yeah playing a joke on me. And I'm like, all right, whatever. Like, I didn't even, uh, one of my good friends who still uh, is, is a good friend of mine, uh, she works for the Broncos now. Uh, I called her in my office and I'm like, hey, okay, so I just I just got this email. Yeah. Um, I want you to read it and let me know what you think. Do you think and this I, is legit? <laughs> yeah, like, are you buying this? Yeah, yeah I'm, not, I'm not buying this. Yeah. Uh, I, I told my my girlfriend, now my wife, uh, yeah. I told, I told Shelly about it. I even called my mom. I'm like, "Hey, mom, I got this." So like, I'm like, "I said no we're going way. to the NHL. Look at this." I said we're going, but uh, yeah. am I about to be out a couple couple grand to a prince over somewhere? Right, um, right. We're gonna end know, up in a bathtub because, somewhere. Like, what's happening yeah, here? Yeah, 
because in my in my experience, like the CEO of a team doesn't reach out to you, right? That that it doesn't happen. Nope. So you know, I'm like, you know, what's the worst that could happen? So I um I, I sent him an email back, and it turned out to be him, and we we had a great conversation, and he says, you know, I I've been I read an article about you, I'm fascinated by your story, I want to talk to you, get to know you a bit more. So we we correspond for a few days, um, and and then he goes, well, we're we're building something exciting here, and you know, just. Keep your head down, keep doing what you're doing, and we're we'll definitely be in touch. And I'm like, oh, okay. So, yes, sir. Sounds yes, sir. Good. Yeah. All right. So that conversation ended. You know, I'm feeling pretty good. And then COVID happens. And then I'm like, oh boy, wow. Okay. So the whole world shuts down. Our league shuts down. Every league shuts down. Yeah. Um, and then I ultimately get furloughed, like a lot of people uh, yeah. in minor league sports. So my uh, my wife and I were um, out running errands one day, and and she says, "Hey, have you ever heard from that Seattle guy uh, lately?" And and I'm like, "Oh, he's probably, you know, it's this pandemic, babe. They're they're not, you know, yeah. they're not trying to hire a broadcaster. Yeah, they have right a lot now. working got, going on right now. You know, yeah, they, they got a lot more important things to do. I don't know." who she knows or, or, or who paid off who, because I kid you not that same day I get home, I check my email two hours later, three hours later, I check my email and there's an email from Todd. And he says, Hey, I know the whole world is, is upside down right now, but we're still building our team. We're still building for the future. I'd love for an opportunity to put you in touch with our head of marketing communications. And, and if you're interested, you know, we, we can, we can move, move the process forward. So, you know, after I changed my pants and picked yeah, my job. Hell yeah, we can move the process forward. Yeah, I was like, um, oh, okay. Me, and I'm still applying for, because I'm furloughed. I'm right, still applying right. for job. My, my, you know, we're, we're, she had a job offer in Boston and we're, we're living in Cincinnati. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe, maybe I've, I've lived my dream. I've called pro hockey, you know, maybe the NHL wasn't meant to be. So I I was, I was looking for jobs in, in Boston because we were going to head out there for, for her. So, um, but that was put on hold also because of the pandemic. But, um, so yeah, uh, process it was you know four or five virtual interviews and they were very gracious enough to to fly myself and and Shelly out and uh they showed us the rink we met Todd we met a lot of folks who I'm now working with yeah um you know the July 14th 2020 the day that I got the phone call that changed my life and uh you know we're sitting on the couch we're laughing we're crying we're calling every like we did it we're 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 going we're moving so going to the show It was it was a it was a whirlwind experience for sure, but it was one that, you know, given the way that it happened, I I would I would allow that to play out a million times over. <laughs> yeah, oh, of course, my gosh. Uh, in my eyes, there's a golden voice in hockey, and yeah. there's the pinnacle. There's the king, Mike Emmerich. I, I oh, think Doc yeah. is absolutely amazing, and has been doing it for a long time. He gave you a glowing recommendation to the Kraken. So now you've got an NHL CEO reaching out to you while you're in the ECHL and the most iconic voice in hockey broadcasting also speaking kindly to about you. I mean, not bad for a Midwest guy working his way up in the ECHL. How, How do you think you got on Doc's radar? Oh my goodness. I, so Doc, you know, you know why, you know why he's called Doc, right? I think so. 
he got his doctorate right. at okay. Bowling Green. Oh, so I didn't was, know it was Bowling Green. Okay. Yeah, he is a Bowling Green alum. And, you know, we, we always used to joke that we may not be that good on the ice, but off the ice. Yeah, you guys are BG, solid. <laughs> our, our, our talent spread far and wide into the hockey, hockey sphere. So, That's right. Um, I, I've, I've had the pleasure of, of meeting Doc a couple of times. I've talked to him on the phone a couple of times. I mean, he... The consummate pro, right? I mean, everything that you've heard about Doc Emmerich, everything that you've read, that you've seen is true. He is such a kind, genuine, sweetheart of a guy, of a soul, and and also one of, if not the best to ever do it, ever. Um, So... But, you know, he gave me the recommendation. To this day, I still don't know what was said. Um, I'm, I'm hoping maybe one of these days, next time our paths cross, I'll be able to ask Doc and say, hey, I got to know, what, 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 you know, what'd you say? And like, yeah, because it worked. It, it, it worked. I agree. Yeah. Like, what do I owe you? You know, I, yeah. I get you a nice bottle of wine or I, what, what, what should I yeah. do? So, um, you know, what do I owe you for that? But, you know, it was to, to have a guy like him to look up to, uh, and not only as a hockey fan, but as as an alum of your university and you know one of my good friends uh his name is Evan Pivnik he is the the broadcaster for the uh Coachella Valley Firebirds our American League team down okay. in uh in, in uh, Palm Springs they had a 50 year alumni uh celebration a couple of years ago and he was still in Bowling Green uh Evan was as their broadcaster okay. and Doc came back and he got to do a period with Doc Emmerich uh and and then the next year Doc came back and did a whole game uh with so cool. for Bowling Green uh and actually Doc came back for an alumni event when I was in school and he came up to the press box I thought that I was going to oh, yeah. interview him over during the intermission. Yeah. So during the anthem, I see Doc walking up, and it's it's like the parting of the Red Sea. Like uh-huh. everyone just kind of moves, and then here comes you know Doc Emmerich. He just and puts it on, puts it on, and my, starts going. My, my color analyst at the time takes his headset off. I'm like, where the heck are you going? Like, yeah. <laughs> it's it's land of the free, man. We got like 15 seconds. Let's yeah. go here. Yeah. And then Doc puts the headset on, and he goes, "I heard you're joining me for a. Pe- I'm joining you for a period." And I was like, "Whoa!" Like. <laughs> Wait, wait! I, I thought that I was going to interview you, and he said, "No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hop on and, and be your color guy." And I'm just like, "Okay, yeah, yeah. this is happening. So All right." Literally 15 seconds before puck drop, it's yeah. my, I think my second year as play-by-play at Bowling Green. The, the legend, Doc yeah, Emmerich. Is that's a little bit of pressure. Man, my, 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 heart, my heart is racing now, just still thinking about yeah. how nervous I was in that moment as a 20 year old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's crazy. So I know we talked a lot about the versatility and all the different things that you learned. Yeah. I think that's a really important message for all the people listening, but I also, yeah. we can't stress enough how important like your work as a broadcaster is. I read this quote from Todd Lewicki who said about you, it was his tapes that got him hired, his passion for the game and his body of work. Like it still came down to, can you do this job well? Yeah. And you can. So I think a lot of young broadcasters struggle with finding their voice, finding their style, yeah. finding all those things out. How did you kind of figure out who you wanted to be on the mic and let that come through with so much confidence and passion? You know, I, in college, used to listen to every NHL radio broadcaster twice per season. 
I would listen to a full game. I'd sit in my dorm room or my my apartment, whatever. And, you know, while doing homework, I'd throw on the the Islanders and the Devils. And I'd listen to the Islanders guy. And then, you know, a couple days later, I'd listen to St. Louis, Dallas. And I'd put on the St. Louis. You know what I mean? So, like, I I, I took notes from, from a lot of guys. And, you know, it's easy to... Because as broadcasters, we're not only fans of the sport, we're fans of the profession. We're fans of of broadcasting. So we know Mike Breen and Ernie Harwell and and we know Tom Hamilton and and all of these legendary broadcasters, um, you know, Gary Thorne, just the list goes on and on and on. We know these people and we're fans of them. You know, not necessarily their teams, right? I'm not, I'm not the biggest uh, LA Kings fan, but Bob Miller and Nick Nixon are are two of the best to ever do it. I love yeah. listening to to those guys. So being able to 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 listen to your heroes and your icons has been huge for me. I was a big Jim Houston fan, Hockey Night in Canada. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I I love how he calls a game and, and his diction and his emphasis. And I, I try to take a little bit from him. Uh, Randy Moeller, who used to be play-by-play for the Florida Panthers. Now he's their color analyst and a lot more for them as well. You know, he, he had this like, this real guttural score. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like that. Let me yeah. let me see what I can do with that. So you take some pieces from from each guy, and I just you know I'm I'm a loud person, and and I'm full of energy. I'm full of passion for yeah. for what I do, and you know I, I could have just taken one guy and and said I want to be that guy, but mm-hmm. I was like no, I want to be myself, and I want to I want to have a unique and a different sound. Um, so that, that's, that's kind of how it started is I just, I listened, I listened to guys and I, I studied, I watched, um, I paid attention. Yeah. Um, and, and that's how you find that. And I think more important than the, than your voice, because you can't, you can't help your voice, right? Like it, you can't help your voice any more than you could help being tall or short or whatever. But what you can do is you can help your preparation you can help your enunciation. You yep. can help your descriptiveness. So for me, where's the puck on the ice? Left corner, right corner, blue line, high slot, circle, whatever. Where's the puck on the ice? Who has the puck? Which direction are they going in? All of those things, I think, are more important than the sound of your voice. If you can adequately get across the picture that you're painting, and if people – because for me – that's the biggest compliment that someone can pay me is not, I love the sound of your voice. It's when I close my eyes, I I can envision the rink. I pick, you put me into the game. I feel like I'm sitting in the third row right at the red line. That's what I want. And that is, that for me is what is the most important part about broadcasting, especially on the radio. What an what an ultimate compliment. And I think it's cool too because you got both, my friend. You got the voice, you got the story, you got the the picture and and painting that whole thing. It's just amazing. So um I just got two more questions for you if you yeah. got the time for it. I love I this got, conversation. I got all the time in the world. We're good. I love this conversation. I'm really enjoying it so much. I think one of the themes we've seen as you've ascended in this industry is 
every story about you talks about how you're the first black NHL broadcaster, yeah. which is a massive accomplishment. But I love that we focus this conversation on more about your story and not just that one fact. Yeah. But I don't want to ignore it either. I think one of the things I read that really intrigued me and interested me was regarding diversity and inclusion in sports was the Kraken VP of Community Engagement and Philanthropy, Mary Harita, yeah. told USA Today Sports, if you really want to include everyone, it can't just be by words on a piece of paper. It has yes. to be in actions and examples. And yes. I personally love that because I think we're in a world right now where organizations are saying, yes, diversity and inclusion matters to us. Let's write a check mm -hmm. and, and job done. But nobody's really making policy changes or really, in, really caring and making changes and making it happen in actions and examples. How yeah. motivating is it to you to know that your organization stands behind this and makes it an important part of their culture moving forward? It's huge. It's, 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 it's the best part about my job and, and the company that I work for because we as an organization are so intentional in our hiring process and, and, and practices. And we want to change the face of the game of hockey, of the sport of hockey. We realize historically people who look like me, uh, people of color, women, historically have been told the game of hockey is not for them. You do not belong within the game of hockey. As an organization, we want to say, well, no, if you're a fan, if you are, a, it doesn't matter who you are, what you look like, where you come from, you belong within this organization. And we want our organization to be representative of where we see and where we want this game to go. And of course, of the community that it represents. There are, this is a very diverse city yeah. in Seattle. If we had a front office that was 95% white or 95% male, we would be doing a disservice to our city, to our sport, to our region. So that is why it's such an honor and a pleasure to work for an organization that not only talks the talk, but walks the walk, that does things like hold festivals in, in South Seattle, down in South Park, and, and goes to different places around the community that are you know, uh, low income that have historically underrepresented uh, populations who, who live there because we want to bring them into the game. We want them to know, not only feel, but we want them to know that they are a part of, of, of the game and, and you are allowed and welcome to be part of this organization. You know, we, I, I used to, I used to say like, you know, you're, you're more, our fans are more than just fans. They are a part of our organization. They are yeah. a part of our family. And we want everyone within this city, regardless of your color, your race, your religion, your whatever. And I know it sounds kitschy and, 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 you know, like a Saturday morning cartoon special, I get it, but it's true because it's, it's what yeah. we firmly believe it. Yeah, it's not just words. It's it's real. Yeah. It's, you guys are living yeah. it. And I think I've seen a lot of the data behind the hiring pr practices of the organization. And it's not just saying it and spreading it out there. It's action. Yeah. It's happening. And yeah. that's really that's really admirable. And I hope to see more of that happening in sports. Yeah. You're a role model to a lot of young people. I've read some stories of personal interactions you've had with, at, with as a mentor to others. Um, you're an inspiration. You're a blueprint. You're You're a possibility. You know, as people look to see and say, I can do that too, and follow yeah. in your footsteps. How do you handle that role? And what advice would you give to those young people that are, that are coming up in the industry that you just want to help push along? You know, 
I, I I've always kind of I don't want to say struggled with with that question, but it's something that I, I don't think I've ever truly been able to find the right words for because. Yeah. You know, I always say no one ever really sets out to be the role model or the trailblazer or whatever word you want to put to it. But when you find yourself in this chair, in this position, you owe it to your sport, you owe it to your community, and I think most importantly, you owe it to yourself yeah. to to be that person. I didn't have a lot of positive black role models within the game of hockey to look up to, right? Outside of... Of, of Mike Greer, Anson Carter, um, uh, Jerome McGinley, George The Rock, and then yeah. later on guys like Kevin Weeks and Freddie Brathwaite. Like, mm-hmm. there are a lot of players, but like there, there weren't a whole lot of media people. John Saunders, David Amber were the only two that I remember seeing who looked like me. Yeah. Never mind front office, head coaches, GMs, whatever. So you didn't have a lot of that to look up to in – when I was coming up. So to be able to now say that, yeah, I'm I'm the first black broadcaster in the NHL. And it also means that you don't need to play this game to be involved in this game. And that's, I think what's so important because so many people are like, Oh, I don't know how to skate. I I could never play hockey. I learned how to skate at 22 years old as an extracurricular at Bowling Green. I I, I didn't play hockey growing up. Um, But I think for me, it's so important that minorities, historically underrepresented people understand that they belong in this game. They are welcome. They are allowed. They are needed, I think, more than anything. They are needed Needed. within this game. And it's not... From a player perspective, if you want to be a fan, if you want to be a season ticket holder, if you want to be a broadcaster, if you want to be behind the bench in the training room, it doesn't matter. You are needed. You are welcome. You are allowed within this space. And I and that is the one thing that we're starting to see a lot more of. And, you know, kudos to the NHL. They're doing a good job in trying to help that diversity. But still, a lot, work, a lot more work can be done. And it's people like myself. It's people like Kevin Weeks in the NHL. NHL, Kim Davis, who was in the NHL office right now, you know, David Amber, who who does work for Sportsnet, um, you know, even a guy like Rondeep Janda, who is the color analyst for um, the Vancouver Canucks, and he does Hockey Night in Canada, Punjabi, and there's a large South Asian population that is mad about hockey. It, it takes the work of all of us and, and so many more people um, to, to show that, that you belong in this industry and you belong in this, in this space. So that, that's the, the biggest piece of advice that I, I can give it. someone is you're needed. We want you here. And that's, that's it. That's, it's brilliant. I'm so excited. This has <laughs> such a, been such an awesome conversation. Everett, thank you so much for joining me. I, I'm just, I'm going to be smiling ear to ear the rest of the day. Hey, Brian, the pleasure was all mine. Thanks so much. Thank you to Everett for coming on the show. I love his enthusiasm. It was so infectious. Such a great guy to listen to. Loved his stories. You can tell his passion and the way it comes through and the way he really starts to hammer those moments. Like you can tell his voice is just made for this. Like it just has so much power and energy to it. Loved it. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Everett. Thank you to everybody there for listening. Great insight. If you want to work in sports broadcasting or break into any form of hockey, I think there's a lot you can learn from that conversation. 
So thank you for listening. Please rate and review and subscribe. It's important to us as we want to grow and have more people know that our show exists and that's the way to do it. So when you rate, review, subscribe, it makes a difference for us. So that would be really helpful and I'd appreciate it. I'll see you all on Monday.